Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Well, we have to cut to the chase and to go right into the word right now. You see, Mount Morrow of Blessed Memory said, if the purpose of a thing is not known, it says, then abuse becomes inevitable. And on a day like this, our contemplation must be right. Because Easter, I tell you most assuredly, is not just another holiday on the calendar. It's definitely not about Easter bunnies or or eggs. When you look at the cross, what do you see? What should you see? I'll tell you what you should see. You should see two things. Because the same message has two different implications. The first is, of course, you see a message to believe. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So there is something to believe, a message about salvation and redemption to believe when we look at the cross. But also we see an example to emulate. And a lot of people only know the first part and not the second. And on a day like this, we must walk in the conviction of the balance of both the message and the example. There are two verses in the Bible that are very similar. Similar. They have a lot in common. They, the books have the same author, John and First John. Then the verses providentially have the same chapter and verse. John 3.16, First John 3.16. As if that's not good enough, they also have the same message. John 3.16 and First John 3.16 answer the same question. How do we know that God loves us? And First John 3.16 answers that question in this way. He says, this is how we know. God loves us. This is how we perceive the love of God. It says because he died for our sins. And John 3.16 says the same thing. It says this is how God loves us. You know when we see John 3.16 say God so loved the world. We think he's talking about the intensity of God's love. God loved the world so much. But that's not what he's saying. It's old English. God loved the world this way. God by doing so loved the world. This is how we perceive the love of God. He sent his son to die. But now, two verses, different books, same chapter, same verse, different implication. What does John 3.16 say we should do about the provision of salvation and the forgiveness that is in Christ? It says that whosoever believes, so the call to action is faith. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's what he's saying, that we should believe. But 1 John 3.16, same message, different call to action. It says, we also should lay our lives down for the brethren. So when you look at the cross, what do you see? You see a message to believe and an example to emulate. Something to believe and something to reciprocate. In case you don't already know, the title of this sermon is Scarlet. Blood and forgiveness. And 
I have two simple goals. And from the things I've said, you can discern them already. Number one, to strengthen your conviction in the lavish forgiveness of God in his Christ. I take that again, to strengthen your conviction in the lavish forgiveness of God in his Christ. And secondly, to help you realize that the true understanding of that forgiveness places a necessity on you to forgive those around you. You don't even have a choice. You see, when I first, not first, <laughs> you only do it once, when I got born again, and I began to exercise myself in the fruits of the Spirit. I had no issues with peace. Generally, I, I would consider myself a peaceful person. I don't like bad energy. The joy, I love, I love joy. I like to be joyful. And all the fruits of the Spirit seemed, you know, like a piece of cake to me by the strength that the Spirit gave. But there was one that I really struggled with for a long time. <laughs> and it's this concept of forgiveness. And we don't even realize how unforgiving we are. You know, some of you, the moment I said, I struggled with that, maybe for a split second you judged me. Why would you do that? You know, But we're pretty much the same. Maybe some of you are still struggling with it right now. You know, you can be so religious. Some of you are right here in church and you're holding grudges. I was watching a minister's conference and someone said something very profound. He was talking to ministers and you know what he said? He said, do you know the reason why all of you ministers must make sure there is no scandal in your life? And he said, why? He said, because the church, especially in this country, they forgive, but they don't forget. And I was just like, that's so profound because, you know, church people, they can forgive. But they will never see you differently. <laughs> you know, they will never see you the same. You know, have it, has it, I don't want to ask you. You won't tell me if you have been in that shoe, you know, where someone, because of what he has done, you just feel he is canceled and never has the opportunity to, to touch on some certain subjects. And we don't even realize how knee-deep we are in these kind of concepts. And that's why we need to talk about things like this. And when we look around, embedded in our culture is the ideology of vindication and vengeance. In fact, in the movie industry, any movie with the storyline of payback sells. Have you noticed? Have you seen John Wick? And Colombiana? And many movies of that sort. Payback sells. Um, Mel Gibson and they thought it was too gory, not knowing that it is still a gross underestimation of what actually really happened. Remember that movie that you struggled to watch? It's still a gross. Every theologian knows it was still a gross underestimation. The whips had two things. They had small dumbbells and they had spikes. So with every strike, the skin gets softened the blood rises to the surface of the skin, and then the piercing of the spike, I mean, it's a mess. By the time you're getting to the cross, you see bones, you literally see bones of the person. The mode of execution called the crucifixion is so devastating that an English word was coined from it. The English word excruciating 
is from crucifixion, from the cross. That's what excruciating means. Because there had to be a new definition of pain. You are not getting what I'm saying. No English word could explain what it means to be on the cross. They had to coin a new one. And then you're on the cross with seven-inch nails through your wrists and through your ankles. And right there, that moment, not the next day, you didn't need three days to think about it, one year to think about it. Do you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing? Maybe you don't understand. You know, there is a trend on social media now called do, do I'm if easy. Your struggle with forgiveness should help you appreciate what Christ did more. Because some of you have still not gotten over the guy who promised you marriage in SS2. <laughs> you still think about it and it still hurts you. Listen, something happened years ago. I'm not proud about it, you know, and really it's, it's not that serious. But I will just tell you, I have a vivid memory of my childhood. Call it a superpower, whatever you want to call it. But I remember some events that happened on my third birthday. How, I don't know. I, you know, one day, I'm, you know, I don't know, but I know my third bed, is, my mom is there, right? Is that my mom? I think, is my mom around? Okay, she's not. I wish you could corroborate some of the things I'm saying. I just remember, you know, first and foremost, <laughs> I'm already laughing at myself. You know, on that day, wanted to take um, photographs in the night, so they took me out, drove me in the car to... Um, a supermarket that was at the junction of 21 Road, Gorn Estate. And then they bought me these blue shorts and these striped shirts, and then we took nice pictures and all of that. There was one guy who was checking my auntie, and he was trying to impress her with, by trying to be nice to me, promised me toy Rambo bow and arrow. He has not fulfilled that promise. I've, not like I'm holding in my heart, but I remember. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and then how much more my fifth birthday, I remember all the, in fact, from the days leading to that day, everything. I remember where I was in the room when my mom asked me, what kind of cake do you want? And I said, mm, I want drum set. <laughs> my mom said, ha. Ah. She called the cake company. They said, at that time, said, we can't do it. Oh. So I said, okay, do a guitar. So they did the guitar, you know, and everything. The night before, I was in one of the rooms. My uncle knocked the door. He opened and he threw on me a birthday gift, bow tie. I'll never forget what black and silver, you know, spikes. I remember everything. My fifth birthday was on a Sunday. And the same thing I was going to wear for the party was what I wore to church. And my dad warned me Stanley, make sure you don't stain yourself. <laughs> so I went. I remember how cautious I was in church and all of that. Weirdly, I remember two people I spoke to in children's church that morning. <laughs> you know, go back. As soon as we entered the driveway, my dad opened the door to check if I'd stayed myself and said, okay, that's good. So I remember we were waiting for visitors to come in, just watching the TV for more guests to come in. A lot of people came in, you know, one Ojama Benson, no, Ojama Johnson, who was my crush at the time. Uh, hi, darling. Long, long time ago, I'm sure you understand. All right. <laughs> you know, and many other people. And then 2 p.m., thereabouts, PHCN did what they do best, NEPA at the time. Light went out, and so we had to come out to play, and then they called us, it's time, all this is leading somewhere, for photograph, take pictures, and there was one boy, Kufre Abak. 
I'm not petty. I just remember. It's leading somewhere. Kufri Abak wore Asher K, like the shorts and then the top, and he wore cap. And Kufri Abak, cake that they brought since the day before yesterday that I, I was preserving, like guitar cake. This boy, take picture, he was dipping hand in the cake and pissed me off. And you know, the camera, I didn't want to spoil the shot, so I was like, get me. You know, I remember everything. And I remember, the, you know, I said all of that to say this. I was about 10 years old when I was going through old pictures and I saw pictures of my fifth birthday and I saw Kufriya back and I'm like, bro, you know, <laughs> many years after, you know, not like I really had any um, grudge, but it just crossed my mind. Isn't it funny how sharp our memory is against those who upset us? I mean, if we had that same approach to our studies, <laughs> maybe things would be better, right? But, I mean, think about this. We struggle to forgive people who misplaced our follow charger, you know, and all those things. Which, by the way, is a very terrible transgression. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> you know. And, and here is Jesus on the cross. Moments before his death. I mean, literally, he could tell angels to kill everybody. <laughs> and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, this sermon, the best way to really make Easter count is to realize the responsibility that the forgiveness in Christ places on you. You dare not be here celebrating and jumping on an empty grave. <laughs> while keeping a grudge in your heart. You have to recognize how big, a how big a hypocrite you'll be to do that. The disciples came to Jesus and he said, teach us to pray. And amongst many things he said, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In case you didn't receive the memo, I'm telling you now that according to divine design, both are meant to go hand in hand, that the condition upon which you receive the lavish forgiveness of Christ is that you no more have the opportunity to hold anyone, you know, in your heart for so long, no matter what they've done to you. So as you stand by faith in what is done, completing what is done, you know, all the things you celebrate about your relationship with God, how he doesn't judge you by your works and all of that, you too, you have to learn to look away from the things that people do. It's divine design. And John goes so fast to say, he makes a conclusion on soteriology. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is in darkness up until now. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care that he sees you in church regularly. He says, if you are walking in hate perpetually, he said, you are not saved. You're just deceiving yourself. First John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is in darkness, even till now. One simple way you can make today count and memorable is that you release in your heart everyone who has ought against you. Everyone. And mind you, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. Oh boy, it's difficult. 
Sometimes it looks like forgiving is difficult. Forgetting is even more difficult. Do you know how to prove that you really forgive? <laughs> when you can deal with the person as if what you forgave never happened. I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. See, we struggle with these things. And the, the sooner you admit it, the more likely you are to improve. Are you with me? In Matthew 18 from verse 23, Jesus tells a story about a master who had um, two servants. And both of them owed him money. One of them owed 10,000 talents. You see, there is something about reading Bible stories in Bible currency that doesn't allow it to have the effect it's meant to have on you in current reality. So let me do the conversion for you. 10,000 talents is actually $16 million in today's money. That's a lot of money, right? That's billions of naira. That's about five billion. And then the other person owed him $15. So one owes $16 million, the other owes 15. Let me take it again. A master has two servants. One of the servants owes the master $16 million. And then the servant who owes the master $16 million has another colleague who's, who's also a servant, but owes him, not the master, but owes he, the first servant, $16. And that's about 5000 And the Bible tells us that the, the master called the first servant and forgave him freely. How would you be? What would you be like? What would you look like if we were just forgiving a debt of $16 million? Billions of naira. I mean, how joyful would you be? What would be your demeanor? I mean, what would be your mood? I bet you'll be excited, jumpy, all over the place, you know, rejoicing. And the Bible tells us that on his way, after receiving mercy, he sees the servant who owes him $16 and puts him in prison. Make sure he stays in prison until he pays. When the master heard, he's annoyed. Listen, when you hear the story, you're just like, what kind of wicked servant is that? You don't realize that Jesus is telling a story to paint a picture of how weird and awkward it would be for you not to forgive. He's talking about you. So the comparison, <laughs> in comparison, he's comparing what he has forgiven you of to what people have done to you. You say, Lord, do you know what he did to me? Do you know what he said to me? And he said, in comparison, this is five billion to five K. I died for your sins, you have no excuse. In case you did not get the memo, you have no excuse. We are without excuse. And so here's what we're gonna do. Because from my experience, you know, when you're preaching sermons like this, if you judge by the eyes of people, you think, uh, why am I even preaching this? They all know this. They, they, are not, they don't have grudge. But from my personal interactions with people, I've seen that people struggle. So here is what we're going to do. We're going to make Easter count and make Easter memorable. 
by reciprocating the forgiveness in Christ. I'm going to give you two minutes now. Scan through your heart. Do a soul search. And anyone that is in the prison of your heart, you're going to let them go. And all you're going to do is simple. You call their name out and say, in the name of Jesus, I let you go. I stop obsessing myself with how you are doing. And if all my negative prayers have been fulfilled in your life, I will stop, so search, I will stop stalking you on social media. I let you go. I'm serious. I'm giving you two minutes. Two minutes. Do a soul search right now. A soul search right now. A soul search right now. Please make it count. And make sure it doesn't linger beyond today. For God to bring up this topic right now, it means he wants you to do something about it. If you don't do something about it, there is a definition of that. It's called hardness of hearts. You've hardened your heart. Please don't harden your heart. Respond to the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And you know what? God expects... <laughs> God expects you to forgive others easily. If you understand what he did for you. That's why he told that story. Because he expects there to be a comparison in your heart. And so your relationship with, with people will be for Christ's sake. Not just based on what they did or what they deserve, but Christ. Christ has changed everything. So now we want to move to the second part of this sermon. To touch on the lavish forgiveness of God in his Christ. Lavish. I already painted a picture for you. Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. That's lavish. That's over the top. Like, I can hear the heart of a natural man asking, who forgives like that? And my answer is Jesus and all his children. Say we forgive like that. Hallelujah. You know, in case you don't already know, the theme for this month is colors of grace. Colors of grace. And we're using that because... Um, colors were used in the Bible to describe the spiritual condition of the natural man. For instance, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 8, the Bible says, Let your garment be always white and let your head never lack ointment. It says, Let your garment always be white and your head not lack oil. So, this is a picture of our righteousness status. Or a picture of righteousness and justification. White, spotless. You know, and tell me something. When you wear whites to a party, I'm sure the way you greet people and the way you conduct yourself is different from when you wear normal things. You know, usually when you wear other colors, you just hug everybody and shake everybody. But when you wear white, you're cautious. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, watch my watch. watch my... And that's a picture of us. In the realm of the spirit, we're all born like this. You've heard people say we're born sinners. That's not true. We're born with the nature of sin. 
but we're not born sinners. We all had a clean slate, a white garment. But the problem is our garment was right, but our heart wasn't. We had the propensity for sin, so it was only a matter of time. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> and we tried. Just like a person wearing white in a party. You don't want to get stained. You want to think the right thoughts. Say the right things. Do the right things. But what happened along the way? The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, it says, we are all as an unclean thing. And our righteousness is as a filthy rag. That's what it says. The real Hebrew rendition actually says, and I'm saying respectfully, like a menstrual rag. Now, ladies know what I'm saying. I have a wife. I'm sure I have a permission to talk on things like this. When it's your time of the month, ladies, there are some colors you avoid. Isn't that true? Just in case. And one of the things I know ladies dread, the time of the month and they're going out in a bright color, when you hear your voice behind you <laughs> and they call your name. I don't want to use any name. <laughs> and they say, you are stained. Ha! It looks like your day is ruined. Nothing else you do on that day counts. You just want to go home <laughs> and, you know, hide yourself or cover yourself somehow. But guess what? In the realm of the spirit, as it pertains to a natural man, we are all stained. It says our righteousness is like a menstrual rag before God. Like a lady who is stained. We all are stained. There are things in the past of a natural man that scars him. Maybe you were in your classroom and there's this guy who just didn't like you. He was the class captain. Every time he writes your name, the name of, of Noisemaker, he will put times five. Who puts times five? What is this? I'm, I'm either a Noisemaker or I'm not. What is times five? <laughs> well, people are just extra. <laughs> and you've been warning about things like that always saying things to you and all of that and then one day have you seen an innocent person forced to throw punches and you're just like what is happening to me you finished and your whole body was vibrating but it happened so now you fought now you have experience <laughs> and then you go on yeah i've fought but there are a lot of things i've not done and then you go to school college or, or university and your friends say oh there's this party you can't avoid it you can't miss this i mean it's the talk of the town this guy is coming that person is coming and all of that and you're just like okay i'm going but i will just sit there watching people do your thing because i don't want to be i mean all my we're seven all my friends are going i don't want to be left behind so you go and then before you know it they lure you you take one drink two drinks you know and before you know it, now you're drunk. So now you have another thing in your CV. You're like, what happened? As if that's not bad enough. Because you're tipsy and you're drunk. You do things that you never do in your normal consciousness. And you just wake up the next morning. And the guy you went with, or the lady you went with, you are saying 
lying side by side on the same bed. Oh my God, this has happened again. And you're just like, oh my God, this is my wife. What is happening? What is happening? And before you know it, you just keep going and going and going. In your place of work, you're a good person. You know, but now they, there's this deal they want to cut. You've never been that kind of person. But you don't want them to see you somehow. Everybody is in on it. How would it look to say, no, I cannot, you know, so, well, you don't join them, but you look away. You know what that does? And now you're like this. And naturally, in our culture, you know how we handle stains like this? We get over it. That's what we do. And then we start saying things like, you can't shame the shameless. Because really, in our culture, these things never go away. People don't forget. They don't really forgive. But not God. Did you hear what I said? And then he says this to you. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He says, come now. Let us reason together, said the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. White as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. In literal terms, God is saying, no matter what you've done, listen to me, everyone here, no matter what you've done, he uses that figure of speech, simile. He says, even if it's as red as scarlet, your estimation of how grievous your atrocity and your transgression is, he says, even if it's as scarlet, I'll do something about it. I'm not just going to cover it up and say it's okay. It says, I'll make you white as wool, meaning your identity before me will have no association to what you look like before. And you're just like, God, are you really going to do that? How are you going to act like I have no past? Listen, this is a real concept in the church. Just think about it. Think about Stephen, for instance. The whole church liked him. How do I know the whole church liked him? Because in Acts chapter 6, the apostle says, look, you, look among you, people who were point over this business. You know, and they chose Stephen amongst other people, meaning they really liked him. And they thought he was full of the spirit and all of that. And one day, as Stephen was preaching, the heathen, the unbelieving Jews, they picked up stones and murdered him in cold blood. God forbid that happens in a local assembly. How do you feel people will feel? A brother that was loved by everybody. And though there were many people throwing stones, we don't know all their names, but there is one person whose name made it to the book. His name is Saul. The Bible tells us categorically that it was at Saul's feet that the clothes of the people, the people who removed their clothes to stone, they left it with Saul. He was an accomplice. And then fast forward, some time after, he's going to wreak even more havoc, havoc, arrest more people. He encounters Jesus on his way. 
and now he's in Damascus in a house called the house of Judah he's blind tell me honestly if you were Ananias in a room alone with someone like Saul and the mighty Saul is vulnerable and blind what will you do nobody knew he was there you only knew he was there by a word of knowledge and you find him the mighty Saul you can't see if I deck you now you won't know if I you know even if you want to help him you want to pray for him to be healed and to receive the Holy Spirit you might want to you know say okay let me just show you she be this how this how even with this Stephen it's emotional God says, go and lay hands on him that he may receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. And Ananias protested and said, God, you know, I know you're up there. You don't really follow the news. <laughs> but if it's this Saul you're talking about, haven't you heard what he has done? The things he has done against your church? And God says, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he said, this Saul, is a choice vessel before me a choice vessel listen this means that even if your reputation before the world has not changed your reputation before God might have changed and so Ananias saw Saul as a grievous offender one who didn't deserve forgiveness but God saw him not just as someone forgiving but someone worthy to proclaim his name he said, this guy will preach for me. Despite his past, he will preach for me. You know, you would think that he would be so embarrassed. Just imagine the Samaritan woman. Her, she, she's popular because of her, all the mistakes she's made in her marital life and all of that. And when she's running to go and proclaim and tell the whole city to come to Jesus, nobody stopped her. Jesus didn't stop her and say, oh, no, you know, people will not believe you know, because of your past. He didn't stop her. That's our Jesus. He said, though your sins be red as scarlet, I will make you as white as wool. Listen, let me show you what the Bible says about you. Psalm 103. Oh, this is going to bless you. So you need to understand how God forgives. You don't just say God forgives. You have to understand the lavish nature of his forgiveness. Psalm 103 verse 10. He said he has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He says as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the, listen, have faith in his blood. Have faith in his blood. It might still be in your mind what you have done, but it's not on God's mind. So every time it comes to your mind, you know, someone who is, who is not, not trained in what I'm teaching. You know, there was a lady I was talking to in the university, and she said something very funny. She said she feels like God reminds her of past sins when she's praying, that God will bring it to her so that she will ask for mercy. I said, that's not God. That's not God. That's your untrained mind. You don't know how God forgives. It says, as far as the east is from the west, God is a spirit. He doesn't need the illustrations, but you do. You have a mind. He's painting a picture in your mind. As far as the east is from the west, I will remove your transgressions, your iniquities from you. 
That's what he says. Says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 8, talking about the New Testament. Oh, glory to God. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, he says, For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness. He says, And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God has selective amnesia. He has chosen not to remember. He knows all things but not your sins. He has chosen not to count them. David spoke about it. He said, Blessed is the man whose sins God does not impute. He was talking about the man in Christ. Your sins are not imputed. It says, though you be red as crimson, red as scarlet, I will make you white as well. And let me tell you why this is important. It's because faith in his forgiveness will make all the difference in your devotion. Many people don't really understand that faith in the forgiveness of God is what differentiates David from Samson. Faith in the forgiveness of God is what differentiates Judas from Peter. Because look at Judas and Peter. In fact, when I look at the story of David, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. And I will tell you why. If someone was making up the story, they will never tell, tell the story of David. They will cover it up. Because of the PR of the Bible, you know, if it was made up, they would cover it up. The fact that you can read the Bible and see all the mistakes of the greats, all the things they did, the Bible must be the word of God. That he left it there so that you will see. What have you done near David? What have you done? I mean, comparatively, what did Samson do? But Samson's faith was in his hair. That was the problem. And so when his hair was cut, he thought he was hopeless. There was nothing he could do. And so at the end of his life, with his eyeballs bulged out of his face, you know, he prayed for one more chance. That's what some of you are doing. When you sin, you pray for one chance. But guess what? If God gave you a thousand chances, you will still exhaust them all. Don't you realize you need unlimited chances? At the end of Samson's life, he discovered that the power was never really about his hair. Because with his hair cut off, he put his hands on the pillar after praying and he still demonstrated great strength. What if he had the audacity to trust that the power of God and his ministry could still continue despite his mistake? That's the audacity that David had. To say, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Even if it was an Old Testament reality, at least he asked. And he trusted that it was something that God could do. You make one mistake, Samson, that's the end of your life. David killed a loyal servant, married his wife. And still went on to fulfill God's plan for his life. Think about that. That Jesus had two disciples. Told both of them prophetically how they will make mistakes. He told one, you will betray me. He told the other one, you will deny me. The same Jesus, the same prophecy. They responded differently. 
Because guess what? The same way we are vindictive on others when they make mistakes is how we are vindictive on ourselves. When we make mistakes, we are so hard on ourselves. Judas only needed to wait three days. Don't you realize? He only needed to wait three days. Three days after, Jesus would have appeared to him and said it's okay. The same way Jesus appeared to, to Peter and still, still told someone who disobeyed and denied three times, feed my sheep. Still gave him a responsibility. He asked him, do you love me? He said yes. And Jesus didn't say stop that after what you've done. He didn't say that. Judas only needed to wait three days. You have to have faith in his blood. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Hallelujah. Don't forget how we started. When you look at the cross, what do you see? What is your contemplation? Hallelujah. Everybody read Ephesians 1, 7 together. One, two, go. Hallelujah. It says in him we have redemption. <laughs> Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Say I have. Say I have. Redemption. Say I have. Forgiveness. Listen, so forgiveness is the eternal possession of the man in Christ. I'm coming to this. I will come back to this verse. But let's think about it. He said you have redemption through his blood. Do you know why many people struggle receiving the mercy of God? It's because though they know it is free, they don't know it came at a cost. If you enter a shop, you want to buy a phone. Just imagine you go to Computer Village and you enter a shop, you want to buy iPhone 12. And they just say, oh, take anyone, it's free. Ah! <laughs> you say, you want to set me up. You want the police to knock on my door tomorrow. But if they tell you, oh, welcome, we've been waiting for you. Anon paid for you. Anonymous, right? Ah, one of the sweetest words on Twitter today. Anon, hey, my God. Anon, Anon Swashnika, God. Ah, may Anon visit you this week. <laughs> Look at you. But when, when they say, when they say, Anon paid for you, you have a different perspective. You are not as suspicious. In fact, you are now more determined to use it so that the provision of the person does not waste. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you have to understand, God is not just a judge who was corrupt and said, oh, yeah, I have mercy, so go. No, no judge can let a criminal go. Even if the criminal was his own son, you can't do that. So what did he do? He stood where you stand. He took your place. He paid the price with his own blood. John in the book of Revelation says, Unto him that loved me and washed me of, his, of my sins with his own blood. He took your place. Why wouldn't you receive his mercy? What is it that, is, that you have done that is greater than the provision of his blood? Do you know what it means for one ounce 
of the blood of the Son of God to be shed? You think that's a joke? When Jesus died, all of the earth responded. Twelve in the afternoon, everywhere became dark. Even the sun revolted. The earth responded. There was an earthquake. The earth couldn't take it. How can the blood of the Son of God touch me? It's a big deal. So this forgiveness is free, but it came at a cost. The fact that you didn't have to pay does not mean someone else did not pay. Look at Isaiah chapter 63. I want to read something to you so that you get the imagery right. You need to see what he did for you. So don't forget, in the earlier chapter of Isaiah, you picture yourself wearing white, stained with crimson. Now you see someone else. And the observer is watching, and he sees someone coming. And he says, who is this coming from Edom? From Basra, garment stained with crimson? He sees someone coming with his garment stained with crimson. He says, who is this? Robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of strength. And then the person responds. He said, it is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. So now, in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, you see a picture of yourself in white, stained white. But now you see a picture of someone else who looked like you, but is not you. And the person said, he's mighty to save. This was a prophecy of the Messiah, dressed like you to redeem you. And he said, the observer, this is a dialogue. You need to read the Bible. The Bible is so interesting. The observer says, so why is your garment red? Like one of those treading the wine press. You know, in those days to get wine, they'll put grapes on the floor and they just march on it. It was hard work. March on it to extract the juice. And this guy, you're, 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 you're dressed in splendor. You look like you're from a rich family. But you look like you've been going through hard labor. What is this? What is happening? He said, I have trodden the wine press alone. Can you say alone? I'm coming to that. Alone. He says, for the nations, from the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger, threw them down, threw them down in my wrath, and their blood spattered the garments, and I'm stained from the clothing. It was the day of vengeance. The year to redeem has come. So this is about redemption. He said, I looked, but there was no one to help me. I was appalled that no one gave support. So of my own arm, he said, so my own arm achieved salvation for me. This was a picture of the Messiah and a proof that God in heaven and the Messiah that draws salvation on earth were one. He said, my own arm. Are you getting this? And he just talks about how he has silenced the accuser on your behalf. The one who is coming mighty to save. He has defeated, he has silenced the accuser. He has nailed all the allegations against you on the cross. He comes stained in blood and he said, I have trodden, trodden, trodden all my enemies. He has won for you. Hallelujah. He came back with garments stained just like yours. And he said, I'm mighty to save. Hallelujah. It's either you believe him or not. He said, no matter what you have done, he's mighty to save. His sacrifice is enough. It's either you believe it or not. 
And so Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about who we were in our past. How we were sold under sin. It says in verse 4, it says, But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love where we loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It is God's design that on a day like this, the song of his matchless forgiveness will be on our tongue. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.